Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Matt Brown, uh, publisher of Extra Points, joins us now. And, and by the way, guys, the irony of having the dude who who's the best at writing about NIL and all the things uh, that go into NIL and the changing world of college athletics right out of uh, – GXG, our sponsor, who's an NIL collective, is not lost on me. Uh, I did think that was kind of strange, but uh, but Matt, there you go. Like in the brave new world of college athletics, here you are on a a podcast that has NIL as a sponsor. You are not the first time this has happened. Honestly, (laughs) when I was listening to the ad read coming in here, I'm like, well, you know that's. That's pretty good. You know, it, sh- it sure beats somebody playing fat bottom girls before I come up again or something, right? Or make it some kind of quip about my gym performance. No, yeah, I, it, would make, it would make sense for me to come on after talking about NIL. Matt, uh, this is the last night of the Pac-12 football-wise, and they could end it literally winning the title from their deathbed. Um, how, like, as someone who likes to take the 30,000-foot view uh, of college athletics, do you view that very strange uh, possibility that could happen tonight? I, you know, It's funny. I, I have thought about this, and it is this terrible irony that the last season of the Pac-12 – was its best and deepest in at least 15 years. It was one of the most exciting. It had the, the highest Q score, and if maybe just a couple of university presidents had done something slightly differently over an eight-month period, we're talking about it catapulting into a new era rather than being picked apart for parts. This would be a very, it would be very fitting, I think, for Washington to win this on not just the last day of the, the Pac-12, but really the last day of the college football i think as we know it right now because next year brothers this is a conference game and we, we and we we have to we have to kind of wrap our minds around nationalized conferences and a big two little two uh, this expanded playoff of a very different world i think it would be fitting if, if things get sent off here with uh with with the the, the, the last hurrah of the of the pac-12 Matt, and not just because I'm from Columbus. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, there you go. There's an extra, uh, extra reasoning there. But, Matt, if it doesn't work out that way and, and folks in Columbus don't get their wish, then you've got a team whose head coach was suspended this year, who's had this off-the-field drama going on for the last several months, and that's somewhat simmered down, although it still perks its head up from time to time. Just your thoughts on Michigan's ride to the championship game tonight, all that's taken place, and – what kind of a taste do you think that leaves an administrator and, and greater college football world's mouse if Michigan, the team that was the big fat cheaters and this and that, is the one hoisting the trophy at the end of this whole thing? I mean, I'm sure that there's going to be some people that are going to be, you know, roll their eyes at it or be upset about it. But for everything that Michigan is accused of doing, and, and they probably are responsible for, for, for much of that, the idea that we've had pristine national champions or, or you know, over the last decade – is, is of course ridiculous, right? I mean, we, we saw this a little bit with uh, with the Auburn Cam Newton situation. We've seen this with 
uh, you know, several other teams that were not uh, closely following the NCAA's amateurism guidelines uh, over over the the the, the, you know, the past you know 150 years of, of national championships. Well, what makes this, I think, different is that Michigan isn't being recruited or you know, accused of recruiting cheating. They're not being accused of academic cheating or standard boilerplate cheating. It's a very unprecedented, weird, unique kind of cheating, and one where it's even a little bit nebulous to show what kind of advantage they got. And in the most Michigan way possible, there's a ton of lawyers, and it's Byzantine and difficult to follow. And a lot of this, I think, kind of becomes moot because there's a good chance, not a certain chance because we're talking about Jim Harbaugh, but there's a good chance this is his last game coaching. You know, he's brought on a new agent. He's going to look at NFL opportunities. This is a very senior-laden team, a very experienced team that's going to lose over a dozen guys to the NFL draft. You know, whatever NCAA sanctions happen, if they're still in NCAA when it's time to pass these things out, they'll they'll happen. But the people responsible for this team aren't going to be in Ann Arbor, I think, when when it when it does. Matt, uh, one of the other pieces of news that came out today is they've they've kicked the can down the road on the five plus seven model. Um, yeah. Apparently, at the request um, uh, of Kirk Shelton, Washington State, because they they're trying to get their ducks in a row. It is an interesting yeah. debate for the ACC and Big Twelve, in my opinion, to stay on the get on the side of five plus seven or stay on six plus six. Because if you do six plus six, then you're guaranteeing one less sec or big 10 spot, but you're also giving up a spot for yourself that could be an at large bid. So where do you think that those schools, especially the, the ACC and Big 12, will fall on this in what will probably be a years-long battle against those other two conferences to make sure that there's fair representation in the postseason? That is, you know, honestly, I never really thought about it that way. And that is an interesting question. You know, my understanding, uh, and I haven't had a chance to read everything that, that Ross put out today, but my understanding was that it's, it's expected that this eventually ends um, with, uh, you know, a, a seven plus five kind of situation or, you know, the you know, four, four automatic bids or five automatic bids rather, rather than six. And it's just a legal process or a bureaucratic process with Wazoo trying to extract as much leverage as they possibly can. But I think, and I'm open to being talked out of this by you guys, but I think if you're a Big 12 team, you want as many at-large bids as possible. There's going to, it's going to be difficult, I think, in this new world here for ACC and Big 12 teams to compete for oxygen against the Big 10 and the SEC for automatic bids. I mean, like look, looking at the playoff this year, I think if we go to a 12-team model, um, I don't think anybody in the Big 12 gets one of those spots. Mm-hmm. Um, you got, you got to go a little bit farther down to get to Arizona uh, to, 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 get in, to get into that, into that neighborhood. And as conference schedules expand, it may be harder – for big 12 teams to get enough quality games and have to move kind of uphill for that. So I think you'd want to preserve as many at-large bids as you possibly can, hoping that in a good year you can get two and maybe a third one rather than trying to make the playoff field a little bit easier for your championship by, by you know, kicking in a Sunbelt team. I could be wrong, but that's kind of how I think about it at first blush. Matt, uh, how have you sort of digested all of the Florida State's ACC noise here over the last few weeks yeah. as that's uh, continued to develop? It, it, it's it's been tough to to handle. I mean, or to, to be, I mean, it's been a tough story to kind of track. What I can tell you guys is that, like on my to do list, I, I did take a little bit of time off for Christmas. But one of the stories that I really want to do soon with real reporting is to tackle the private equity angle. 
and I want people to understand why Florida State would need or would want to go after private equity to raise this kind of money. And then more importantly, the risks and the, the, the what comes with, with taking that, because it's a very different model than just taking bank, going to a bank and getting a loan or trying to raise it with private fundraising, which I, I feel very confident is not possible for, for anybody here. When I've talked to a couple of, of high-level ACC staffers, I've talked to a few other high-level people at, at, at individual schools, and like I don't think anything's really changed over the last month. If there was a, a very easy, foolproof way for this to be addressed in the court system, it would have already happened. Um, and now it's, 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 a, it's a lot of lawyering. It's trying to figure out, okay, can we get the case moved to uh, a geography that's more favorable to us? What parts of these terms can we, can we strike? And, 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 and what does this mean for the league as a whole? I think it's better for college sports if the ACC wins. Um, and if Florida State is able to do this, um, and or if, if they're able to get private equity financing to get J.P. Morgan or the Saudis or somebody else to buy them out, I would be concerned about what that not only means for the ACC, but for a lot of teams like Baylor or, or in the Big 12 um, that are going to find their neighborhood suddenly much less stable. Well, Matt, the, the thing that, you know, if you go and you take the loan out, like you said, and you get that money or you raise it, then it's your money. But if you go and do that with a private equity firm, then JP Morgan or the Saudis are your boss. And then that, 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 that's exactly it. That, that changes everything because now you nope. have to, you have to kind of let them do what they want as opposed to what you want. And you just hope your situation is they're giving me money to let me do what I want. And they're going to stay out of the way, but that's for that kind of money. That's rare. That's, that, that's generally not, not how things work, right? And, and here's the thing. You're probably not going to be able, based on what I've been hearing so far, to just go to a bank and get $500 million. Because part of the challenge here is that, yeah, Florida State moves to Big Ten of the SEC. They're going to make a lot more television money. But we, we remember, we're also looking at a college sports landscape where costs are about to go up significantly for almost everybody. If you're like, okay, well, I've got $145 million in athletic revenue, and I have to pay my athletes $0.00. And then in 2026, suddenly I have to pay my athletes $60 million or $50 million. Well, suddenly that gigantic mortgage looks a little bit more risky. Just like if you took out a, you know, bought a $800,000 house and probably got laid off. Uh, the, the, the bank is going to look at that and think that might be a little bit riskier than we thought. Private equity will look at that and think we can still function there. We're just going to have to cut a whole hell of a lot of stuff. Or we're going to push you to do some things that you wouldn't want to do otherwise. Um, and when that kind of thing happens... It probably won't be Florida State football that suffers, but it will be other Florida State athletes, and I think it will be consumers and fans of Florida State athletics. It's just not a Pandora's box. I think anybody should be really excited about opening, even if you might be a short-term beneficiary of it. Is the best hope for Florida State that they kind of Clarence Darrow the heck out of this thing in court and prove some sort of flaw in the grant of rights that would then – free them to not have to do private equity. They could just negotiate a buyout like everybody else has and move on. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that is certainly what they would prefer to do. Right. And, and, and I talked to a couple of attorneys. I need to report this out a little bit more, but I've had a couple of people tell me, you know, there may be a legal argument for saying that this penalty is excessively punitive and, and it could open up the doors for a different negotiation. And if it's 200 million instead of 500 million, you might be able to get that from a bank. Or if it's 150 million, that's a lot of money, but you might be able to get that without having to give up equity or without having to give up you know, partial control 
uh, over some of your assets. And if, you know, you get, if the ACC gets $200 million, that, that might be able to buy you a little bit of flexibility with ESPN. Um, how likely that is at right now, I would, I would need to do more reporting. It's, it's, this is the kind of thing I've joked with people like, I, didn't, I, never, I never went to law school. I didn't, I didn't sit for the bar. But I have had to write so much about antitrust, labor law, and now contracts that I think I should be able to like sit somewhere. Yeah. This, this is not what I signed up for when I started this newsletter, but that's what it is to be on this beat these days. Yeah, no kidding, man. There's a lot of times where I just make it very – I'm not a lawyer, so I might be wrong on some of these things. But, yeah, there's so much legalese and, and things like that that it seems like we've all had to learn or, or adjust to over these last few months uh, and a couple years. Yeah. Uh, Matt, I know you touched on this in your newsletter for those that uh, don't subscribe or what have you, you definitely uh, promote that as much as you want. But in there, uh, here, I guess it was today, you did touch on the new NCAA TV deal that was announced at the tail end of last week. What was just yeah. sort of your, I guess, your main takeaway from that? And, and for those that want to dive a bit further on your writing on that in the newsletter, uh, go ahead and throw that out there for folks as well. Well, well sure. Well, far be it for me to turn down a chance <laughs> to shill for myself, right? Friends, I mean, yeah, I did write about 2,000 words on this on extrapointsmb.com. You can find me on Twitter at MattBrownEP. But I, I kind of think that the main takeaway here is I think this is a good, but it's not a great deal for the NCAA. Uh, and and the, the, the big kind of you know, public, you know, I think, takeaway is, Hey, it's great that the NCAA tripled the value you know, or, or more than 3x the value of their championship package here. But women's basketball was projected two years ago to be worth between 80 and $110 million annually alone. Um, and you know, in this package, it's, it's valued at in, in the 60s. And my best understanding here is, is one, that initial valuation was probably a little bit generous. But for the NCAA to kind of carve out women's basketball – and charge as much as they possibly could for it. The marketplace told them you can do that, but that will mean that nobody's going to want to broadcast the rest of your stuff. And the NCAA member institutions and those conferences felt it was really important to make sure that men's hockey and women's lacrosse and college softball and everything else has access to linear television opportunities for their championships. Um, if this is professionalized completely, maybe that's not necessarily the case, but th- this is the trade, right? That the NCAA decided we want to make more money so we can give NCAA tournament unit payouts to women's basketball. We can have some more money to, to give to the, to, to pay for our legal defenses, but we're not going to make as much as we possibly can because we want to, we, we still care about broadcast equity for everything else. So if you're a volleyball fan, pretty cool. If you're a swimming fan, pretty cool. If you're Don Staley, I get maybe why you're not thrilled. Matt, we, we have you on to talk about the issues around things so much. We never actually get into the like the, the blood and guts of football <laughs> with you that much. But tonight is a super interesting matchup. Michigan and Washington is two teams that have not been in this position for a very long time. Uh, and yeah. here they are in the national championship stage. How do you think this game shakes out tonight? Man, the, the game, I think this is such an interesting game. And I'm trying to separate my Ohio-ness from, from this, right, and just look like <laughs> – all right, we got two teams here that I think are, are constructed a little bit differently from a lot of other championship caliber teams you've seen recently because these teams are old, right? Mm-hmm. They recruited well, but they didn't recruit like Alabama. They didn't even recruit like Texas A&M. But they, they, they hit on the transfer portal, and they got a bunch of seniors and redshirt seniors and COVID guys. Um, they have, uh, I think, individually very fun stars. And this is a fun, I think, strength-on-strength matchup, right? Because I don't think Michigan has seen anything, anything close to the passing offense 
and the depth of wide receiver from Washington, the Washington Huskers, not even from Ohio State. And I don't think Washington fully understands what they're in for <laughs> at the line of scrimmage. So we get to, we get to see kind of a, a fun strength thing here, right? Can, can Penix play as well as he did against Texas, knowing he's never going to have more than three seconds to throw the ball and he's going to have a hobbled running back? If he can, I think the Huskies beat anybody. I think Michigan wins because I look at that roster, I think that they have more pathways to win. I don't think Washington can win if Penix is just average or just okay, whereas I think Michigan can overcome a bad game from Blake Gorm or J.J. McCarthy. But I think it's a fun game, and I think it should also be uh, you know, a positive development if you're at if you're a co- about a place like Utah or Baylor or Arizona State or Penn State or some of these other places that can't recruit like Ohio State or Georgia – and realize, okay, now we have a proof of concept of what a roster, the best case scenario looks like for a roster like ours that can win a national championship. And I think that's good for college football. Matt Brown, extra points. Matt, thank you so much. Every time we get you on, I'm smarter. I, I think our audience <laughs> is as well. I, I, I appreciate it, fellas. I appreciate all of your support. Enjoy the game here this evening. We'll catch up with you guys later. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.